Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. A direct support worker credential is um, something that people are really looking to obtain these days. You know, whether it's a paraprofessional, um, classroom or school-based training, a credential that you'll see, something that might be state or school-specific, or whether we're talking about clinical agencies, and now we see a lot of insurance funding and regulations with them. If you are in a position where you're struggling with implementations with your direct care staff, you might be considering the RBT credential, and that might be why you're here with us today. So thanks for joining us. The RBT stands for Registered Behavior Technician. It is a credential that's offered for direct support workers by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. That certification board also credentials, or excuse me, certifies board-certified behavior analysts who work as the supervisors. The RBT was originally developed to standardize and offer minimal training standards for those direct or frontline workers. And RBTs are taught what we consider the basics of applied behavior analysis, and they do operate in practice under the supervision of a board-certified behavior analyst. In Hawaii, as I mentioned, we have licensed behavior analysts. Um, in other locations, you may not have a regulation, so you may see BCBA or BCBAD. And then you have an assistant level, and then you can have supervision or support collaboration to a parent or guardian, a classroom teacher or implementer um, or instructional leader. And then we could also have the registered behavior technician. And of course, at the center of all of this, the heart of what we do are our help our clients. In order to be eligible to apply for the RBT credential, you must be at least 18 years old, hold a high school diploma or an equivalent. There is a 40-hour training which follows a task list. You also have to pass a criminal background check as well as pass a competency assessment showing that you can demonstrate these skills with a live learner. Some can be done through role play as well. There is also now the additional requirement for a Pearson exam it is low in cost for application. The idea is to make this credential affordable, um, attainable, um, but that was deemed necessary for standardization. Um, so that is now a part of it. Just a little bit about some of the research that we looked into for you on today's, for today's topic. Um, one uh, particular article that I found was on the assessment and training of supervision needs among registered behavior technicians by Lucelli, Draper, and Sperry in 2017. So it's a very recent study. And the authors in this study were trying to figure out if an individual's self-perception of their own skill set was an appropriate indicator as to where they needed training and where they did not need training. Um, RDTs, the behavior technicians in this study, identified several priorities that would help improve their ABA delivery. Um, and what the authors showed was that self-assessment by those technicians combined with direct observation does allow supervisors to develop individualized training programs that strengthens the role of these paraprofessional providers. So by design, if you have a registered behavior technician, you will also have a behavior analyst. That behavior analyst currently would need to supervise 5% of those hours. When you think about what that means, it could be very little of a consultant. Um, let's say somebody has 
30 hours in a week, the consultant for 5% would be available for about an hour and a half. That's, that's pretty reasonable or doable when you look at that percentage. And what this research is saying, you can maximize that time, that supervision that they're spent together by really looking at some of those self-reflection, self-identifying strategies, and basically building in what we know, the beauty of self-management and self-programming, um, self-monitoring plans into the actual direct service delivery for our clients. There's also another article, which if you haven't read, I definitely encourage you to, to dissect a little bit. Um, it's the concerns about the registered behavior technician um, by Leaf and colleagues also in 2017. And the Behavior Analyst Certification Board did issue a response. So I do think it's worth reading together if you do read one or the other. But of significant note, the authors talked about what is the benefit and what is necessary for an individual, particularly an individual who may have autism or related diagnosis, what they need to succeed educationally uh, and medically. Uh, the, the authors noted for individuals who are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder to make the most meaningful progress, they must have applied behavior analysis-based intervention that is intensive has a comprehensive focus on skill development and reduction of behavioral excesses, is provided by staff who are properly trained, and includes procedures that are implemented with a high degree of fidelity and quality. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. That would actually produce probably the best optimal outcomes for our learners. The authors went on to say that extensive training is required for a professional to implement procedures with a high degree of fidelity and quality. And we know that. The first time we tried to implement any skill or, or replicate something that somebody taught us, it wasn't to fluency. It was our first attempt. So when we're thinking about paraprofessionals, when we're thinking about direct staff, a lot of times they're giving us their best, right? And it's the first attempt, the second attempt, the third attempt. So practice is important, but that support is critical. Without the appropriate supervision and support, you might have individuals who are practicing imperfect steps over and over again, which can lead to a lot of problems or delays in effective implementation of, of interventions for our learners. Extensive training, as I mentioned, is needed for that fidelity and quality, that ongoing practice. The authors suggest that the RDT credential should be a minimum standard for direct support workers, feeling that even at that level, you're not fluent or proficient in behavior analysis. Now, I think you also wanna ask yourself, what is the expectation of a direct support worker? I know that many of you are aware of what applied behavior analysis is, but when we talk about implementing behavior analysis, what, what do we mean? I think is a really good question and something that we could, we could better define. And so I'm thinking of students who may require direct support, who may have intensive needs, who may be in a home or community or school-based setting, um, depending on what your, what your client's, you know, needs are and what your environment look like. And when we talk about that RBT as a minimum standard, that first credentialing, when you go and take the exam after you've completed your competency, after you've done your 40 hours, you have that credential, it doesn't stop there. So I do agree with the authors that, that that initial obtaining of that credential is where we start, and then we continue to build and scaffold back upon that. But importantly, I'm not looking for, and nor should you be looking for, 
direct support workers to have the fluency and precision of a supervisor. We obviously want people to be very good at implementing, but a direct support worker's job is not to develop and define and design. So in that way, I feel very much aligned with the message that these authors were giving to our field. In order for a registered behavior technician or a paraprofessional to obtain that credential, as I mentioned, they have to have a supervisor. That supervisor has to be credentialed by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board. Makes sense if you have behavior analysts or licensed behavior analysts on staff that you would then say, this is a natural sequence and fit. It's within the same certification board. Same thing that you would see with like nursing and nursing assistants or that you might see with occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants, they're gonna be credentialed or certified by the same entity. Although registered behavior technicians complete a course of training, as I mentioned, they receive a considerable amount of on-the-job training that is continual. They will also need to re-demonstrate that competency on an annual basis based off the current standards. On that job training that they're going to be expected to do and demonstrate on an ongoing basis, are in the following areas. Data collection procedures, implementing any new skill acquisition programs, as well as behavior reduction programs, and again, the basic principles and procedures of behavior analysis. So can somebody understand and implement reinforcement the way that it was intended? So if a child is engaged in a behavior and we think they are doing it because they want to gain access to the item, we're going to want to make sure that their challenging behavior doesn't result in access to the item, and that when they do the desired behavior or they can give us a replacement such as asking, then that's going to lead to access to the item. We need direct support workers, or when we have direct support workers who have that basic fundamental understanding, we're all operating from the same philosophic platform, if you will. That's incredibly helpful when we look at making a systematic approach for positive behavior changes. Data collection procedures are key elements to applied behavior analysis, and when done incorrectly, can yield a lot of effort, a lot of frustration, result in a lot of burnout and, and, and turnover, and it may not yield useful results. So when we have somebody collect data, we wanna make sure that it's meaningful and that it can translate into something practical. That's what we should be looking at, and that's what I have seen in my own experiences as benefits to having a system-wide training. Registered behavior technicians and licensed or board-certified behavior analysts who are credentialed by the Behavior Analyst Certification Board have an ethical code that we must adhere to. It's unusual to see a direct support worker credential or level have also these ethical expectations. And the reason why is because their supervisors have those expectations. There are some that are the responsibility of the supervisor and not on the responsibility of our direct support workers or that people um, level of implementation. However, when we look at that ethical code, which again can be found at the Behavior Analyst Certification Board, you can see things like fidelity with data collection, um, you know, visually displaying that data on a biweekly basis, responsibility for communicating with your supervisor. Um, we would like to think, obviously, that those things are built inherently into your agency or system, and they may be, but what's really nice about it is that there's another level, another mechanism for quality assurance and protection. RBTs must have instruction and assessment in the ethics and professional conduct as part of their eligibility requirements to even obtain the credential. 
In addition, as I mentioned, they must abide by a subset of the compliance codes that have been designated as relevant to that level. Something of, of interesting note when um, looking into the credential more formally and looking into the research about the credential, as well as where is it being implemented? Who is using or utilizing the registered behavior technician credential? A little bit of history, I believe it was 2015 when the credential became available. And it wasn't until 2016, I don't believe, that the examination was added to it. So it's a relatively new credential that has come out of a long history of service delivery being provided, and they're just being gaps, or in the Hawaiian language, we would say a puka, a hole, something to fill in. In addition to individuals who are interested in performing behavior analytic services with those um, who are maybe pursuing board certification as a step on the way to obtaining your VCBA, a number of individuals also pursue the RBT credential so that they can work directly with individuals who have autism, but also because they are working in hospitals. They are nursing supervisors, they are home health aides, case managers, emergency response teams, hospice staff and supervisors, substitute teachers and other educational-based staff, and daycare supervisors and staff. In a lot of situations, what we see is somebody might go ahead and say, look, we can get the 40 hours, we can do the competency, but I don't have a behavior analyst in my area. If that's a barrier that you find might be setting you back or holding you back, a lot of times what I'm seeing happening across the state is I'll see people who will essentially do all of the training, complete the competency, and take that knowledge. They're not saying that they're registered behavior technicians because they didn't obtain the credential, and they're not receiving the ongoing supervision. And technically, they do not need to adhere to the ethical code. So that assurance and, and consumer protection isn't necessarily there, but that knowledge is. And I have seen agencies do that until they find um, a place that makes sense where they have supervisors in their area. Well, I've talked to you a little bit about some, you know, here's what the RBT credential is. And I'd like to spend time talking to you about what the benefits, the barriers, and the ways that we can maybe overcome some of those barriers um, if, if you are thinking that the RBT credential is right for your agency. Two things I'll say on that is timing is really critical. And you might find that this is wonderful information, but it's not really fitting for the right time. Um, that's okay. Think about that. Think on that and ask yourself what variables need to be in place for it to be the right time or why isn't it the right time. And then the second thing that I'll say to you on that is also look at what's going on locally. What are services like where you are? Um, how will this improve that level? How will that make you more competitive? Or how will that give you access to um, clients and help you help more people achieve the change that we're looking for? One of the benefits to becoming an RBT or to training people to become RBTs is that it improves self-confidence. Now, I have some resources at the end that can show where I pulled some of this information, um, but a lot of it also is from personal experience. Um, when we see people who understand something, who feel like it clicks for them, you can see them hungry and thirsting and wanting to learn more. It's been really inspiring. Um, Hawaii is kind of new to developing services, um, only a few years in, so our profession is, is quite young here, or is quite green, I should say. And that's going to impact um, and help us drive the need for saying we want system, you know, systemization here. Um, 
Whereas in Massachusetts, where I had lived, there are thousands of behavior analysts. There are highly trained direct support workers. And I do see them also moving to the RBT credential, but locally the climate's a little bit different. So something to think about. Aubrey Daniel talks a lot about um, discretionary performance. How do you get a learner to go above and beyond because they want to, right? Because they're motivated to, because we've arranged the environment to do that. And he talks a lot about showing that that sort of emotional investment as well in your staff, right? Like I care about you and I want you to feel trained and I want you to feel supported because it is really tough to be a direct support worker. I mean, if, uh, or, or to be in situations where you're on your feet and you're on the go and you might be working with highly challenging individuals or, or people who are exhibiting, you know, pretty serious behaviors. And we definitely see that people who feel protected and who feel supported are more likely to achieve that discretionary performance to go above and beyond and to stay in their positions. It does allow you to start grooming tomorrow's leaders today. You know, a key part of moving forward in that forward thinking strategy is to, to think about that direct support worker and where do you want to see them as an administrator in the future? Now, that doesn't mean that everybody wants to go down that path. That doesn't mean that everybody does, but it's a great way to conceptualize building a strong system within and starting right there um, at the ground level. It also provides opportunity for career advancement, um, which can be wonderful for people who are just graduating or for people who've been in the workforce for a while who are trying to find their niche. They wanna know where they fit, and then they wanna know what's next. I have found that, again, many people will become registered behavior technicians or receive behavior analytic training at that direct support level, and they might stay there. That might be what they want to do forever or it might be a transitional job. But quite honestly, I would say eight out of 10, nine out of 10 people who I see come into the field who are supported, um, they absolutely continue down that path or they stay in the field at the very least. And that's really inspiring to see as well. Um, happened to me, that's how I'm still here now 20 years later. It's also an internationally recognized credential, the RBT. So there are currently registered behavior technicians, and I confirm this, in Australia, the Bahamas, the Czech Republic, Egypt, Germany, Ireland, Kuwait, Vietnam, and many other places around the world. That is something very unique. And I think that is, I'm real excited as to what that means for the future of services around the world. Hopefully we can get something that is, again, philosophically aligned and we can get those effective outcomes and then move on to helping other people, move on to helping other students, other, um, you know, other clients in need. But again, living in Hawaii, on Oahu, we have a high military population. And so when we have families who move here, oftentimes we'll see them, the mothers or fathers or the siblings of some of our clients want to become registered behavior technicians. And as people who may be stationed or moving around the world, that's highly attractive to them that there's an internationally um, recognized component to this credential. Obviously, it increases the quality of service. Um, I think that's a no-brainer. But more importantly is it protects our clients. It protects your students. It protects your staff. It protects the families and everybody else that we are working with. And I think um, that's really at the heart of what we do and should be the most critical thing to drive these decisions forward. You also can retain and recruit really high quality personnel. Um, you can minimize your staff training once you have staff who are already RBTs. You can minimize what the onboarding lo process looks like. You can also maximize current funding sources. Something that's of discussion here in Hawaii and has been in Massachusetts is Medicaid school-based cleaning. On a federal level, Medicaid is responsible for providing 
access to applied behavior analysis services in every state for individuals who have autism diagnosis up until the age of 21. Some states do not have it implemented at this time. Other states do. Hawaii does, um, but we are not able to tap into any of the school-based claiming because we don't have that, that situation or service. So although here in Hawaii, we have registered behavior technicians, we have that direct support worker and credential um, in place, we now have realized the gap or the, the missing piece is making sure we have the mechanism for school-based claiming so that we can offset some of the, the, the costs actually, um, because again, you have the credential that's required or you have the qualifications that are required and Medicaid does require a licensed behavior analyst or board certified behavior analyst and registered behavior technicians. So something for your agency or organization to consider. While there are so many advantages to doing this, we know that there are barriers to moving forward as well. Perhaps you have little to no behavior technicians in your area, which means you'll have to create them, which means that's a lot of work for you and your agency. Um, you can go to www.bacbbehavioranalystcertificationboard.com and click on the RBT credential where it says find an RBT. You can then, through a drop-down menu, select your state, or you can select your country, or you can select your zip code, or if you were looking for a particular person, you could search for them by last name. And you can see how many registered behavior technicians there are in your area. In Hawaii, in 2015, there were zero. Now, in Hawaii, over 600 registered behavior technicians. So in a relatively short amount of time, we were able to build that workforce, but we did start by having no behavior technicians in our area. Another barrier might be little or no behavior analysts in your area. If you, again, help people obtain this credential but don't have anybody to supervise them, then they cannot maintain that credential. There is the option on the, the BACB's website to go inactive. So if somebody has an RVT credential, has a responsible BCBA certificate overseeing them, and that person moves or they decide they're not practicing or they've taken a leave of absence, you can go onto the board's website and log in and go inactive, allowing the person to maintain their credential without running the clock on their on the timeline while also acknowledging that they're not currently practicing those services or that they're not delivering them if restricted by law. Um, some places have state laws on that, other places do not. Um, then, you know, then you could, you could have that kind of situation um, where you have somebody who, where you, you need to have licensed behavior analysts. Again, you can go to the BACB certification board website and you can search find a BCBA. That'll give you an indicator of where you might be able to find if you are looking for identifying supervisors. And there is a high turnover rate in direct support positions. Article after article, paper after paper just confirmed that. And the statistics were quite staggering. The amount of individuals who come into an agency who are not there the following year. Think about that from a school district standpoint. Um, my background is in elementary education. I mentioned my bachelor's was in education. Um, and so I worked in schools, you know, thinking about elementary classrooms and thinking about how important it is to have somebody who knows the teacher or the teacher's routines or who knows the, just the way school operates, right? And like um, when you can sneak out to get to the bathroom or not. And it's, it's incredibly draining and frustrating um, for teachers in particular or other um, school-based staff to have to constantly spend time retraining, re-explaining, 
the nuances, the subtleties. And sometimes, you know, we just have to do that. And it's really nice when we don't have to then retrain or explain the philosophy. And if you have, again, a registered behavior technician, we know that we're starting somewhat on the same page. But that high turnover rate um, is incredibly uh, impactful and can be really devastating to an agency or school entity. It's incredibly time consuming to think about a 40 hour training. You know, who's going to run this training? How are they going to make sure everybody's there? The Behavior Analyst Certification Board has some pretty um, rigorous standards that you want to make sure they're adhered to. The 40 hour training, um, I know I have tried, I have run a 40 hour training live. I've also worked and encouraged people to use some of the online platforms. And I have seen a benefit to, to doing that. I know one of my worries originally was um, online is, is a reality, especially when you live on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. But I really love that face-to-face. And I wondered if you're going to lose the integrity, if you're going to lose the, the personal aspect or the connection um, by having people complete an online training. And again, my experience and research has shown um, it's really more about how you structure that training and what the content is and how it's delivered than whether it's in person or online, that is the important variable. Change takes time and sometimes you have to convince people and compel them. Um, but why should somebody who's been in a position for a long time perhaps, you know, maybe you don't have a turnover issue with them. They've been working as a, as a paraprofessional or an assistant in that setting for 20 years. You know, who are you to tell me um, that I need to get this credential? And if you're not somebody or if your agency isn't really fully, hasn't bought into it, it's going to be hard to convince other people to do something that you're not sure should be done. So it really is about that systematic, um, the entire system, also um, system-wide, looking at at adopting and embracing that kind of that change, that next step. Letting people know that it's it's an adventure. It's going to solidify what you do. It's going to allow you to be more marketable. It's going to give you a credential, some letters to stick after your name. It's going to show that you have specific training. It's going to increase family's confidence in us. I think that's critical. I think had the RBT credential existed when I was first getting into this field, it would have propelled me faster. It would have propelled me more into saying this, this is what I want to do again, some of the obstacles with turnover, it's a really hard job. It's harder than anticipated. And if I don't feel invested in, then I'm out of here or I'm getting injured. Like what happened to me? And fortunately I left that agency and I went to a different agency, but it can also be career crushing. And I could have completely decided not to pursue this any further. I actually was contacted uh, by the father of the first client I ever worked with. And I have found uh, the mother, and they're, they're still together, so we're in touch. But I hadn't talked to the father. And he said, you know, thank you so much for sticking with this field after you met our son. And it, it just got me thinking about, you know, all the things that could have gone in a different direction that would have led me to not being here to talk to you today. And that's depressing. So, so hopefully the conversations and the discussions were thought-provoking, give you something to go and digest to determine if, the RBT credential is right for your agency or you. For more information about applied behavior analysis, you can go to www.behaviorbabe.com. For more information about the RBT credential, please visit www.bacb/rbt.